This episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast is brought to you by the Bronto Marketing Platform, a flexible yet powerful software that helps you grow revenue, save time, and optimize marketing resources. If you're interested in making sophisticated email marketing easy, visit bronto.com. That's B-R-O-N-T-O.com. SEO is like everything else in e-commerce in the retail landscape. It's continually evolving. As we head down this final stretch of 2019, what is the current state of SEO? And as we prepare for 2020, where is it trending? Welcome inside the Commerce Marketer Podcast Studio. I'm your host, Greg Zakwitz. Today, we're going to discuss recent changes and trends in SEO, the role content marketing plays within it, and what types of content actually matter. To join me for today's conversation, I welcome back to the show, Ronald Dodd, the CMO and co-founder of the end-to-end commerce marketing agency, Visitor. For those that may not remember, Ron was a guest in episode 28, 17 Juicy SEO Tactics Worth the Squeeze. Welcome back to the show, Ron. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. Excited to be here. Anytime. Appreciate you coming back. I always like when I don't scare people away, so it's always good. Ron, before we get into the topic today, can you give us just a quick background about who Visitor is and what type of companies you work with? Yeah, perfect. Um, Visitor is an e-commerce marketing agency. Uh, so we just work with e-commerce brands, very, you know, brands selling products online that I do shop at a cart feature on their website. I work with about 160 brands now, all selling products online, doing anywhere from three to a couple billion dollars in revenue, with the vast majority doing anywhere from about like five to 25 million in your revenue. We're with a lot of great brands from Spanx, Fatalline, Bark, Barkbox, Just Your Man, Ringside, and more. And uh, yeah, just help them basically acquire new customers using Google search. Um, and help it on the Gento platform. Very cool. So, Ron, if we look back at, say, the last 12 to 18 months mm-hmm. from the SEO landscape, what do you think are the, some of the most important changes we've seen in SEO over that time? Yeah, it's a good question. And so this is very kind of micro-focused on e-commerce SEO. So everything I'm going to talk about is really going to be e-commerce SEO focused. I love it. Yeah, I, I think just really the big changes that I've seen personally is I think SEO is really becoming a lot more integrated with marketing. I see more and more e-commerce directors knowing SEO, understanding the basics. And I see a lot more companies subsequently having good basic SEO foundational work done. Like they're having, you know, titles well written, descriptions well written, you know, the right URL structure and just seeing a lot more of the basics done and a lot more of the technical things done as well, you know? So I think really the competition's a lot more fierce style for, you know, online merchants selling out there because there's just a lot more knowledge of just, you know, the technical SEO basics, right? And also seeing a big focus on just really usability. We've kind of seen this for the past three or five years. I think a lot of these questions, you know, we're gonna talk about is really us just kind of seeing that the market in Google is really turning towards more user behavior. Now it's just very known, you know, like we're going to talk about neural matching. Google's really good about understanding what people do when they basically search Google and what they do after that. If they click on a listing, Google's going to think, okay, we did our job. They found what they're looking for. So that URL is a good match for that keyword phrase. And so for online merchants, retailers, you can't really fake being good anymore. Like you can't just have a ton of backlinks, rank number one. If you deliver a poor experience to the user, they're gonna drop you. So really now in the past 12 to 18 months, I've just seen that more and more common. And now it's so important now in SEO to basically deliver a good user experience. You need to have a good value proposition. You need to have a good product offering. You need to deliver a good user experience. Otherwise, you're just going to be lost in the dust. 
So you mentioned neural matching, which was my next question on here. So I'm going to get into that in a second. But you, you mentioned something that that interests me in your previous answer about titles. And you say people, marketers are writing titles well now. Mm-hmm. What makes a good title? Is a title now, I mean, it used to be, like I always think about, like you always had a number in there. It's seven effective ways to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. Is a good title now determined based on satisfying like the search intent or like what makes a good title nowadays? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think really it's about the search intent and what you're trying to accomplish and what that page is trying to accomplish as well. So let's say, for instance, the keyword phrase scrubs. A lot's going on with the keyword phrase scrubs. People are searching for the TV show scrubs. They could be searching to buy a scrub. They could be searching for information on scrubs. So there's a lot of different paths people go down. So it's a lot, it's pretty difficult for Google to really optimize for that. So in specific for an online merchant selling scrubs, a good title for a category page would be, you know, best scrubs online, um, free shipping now, and then brand name, you know, kind of like a, you know, kind of variance of that, where it's really talking to the user, letting them know more about the product offering that you have on this particular page and any uh, differentiators you have, such as we offer free shipping, been in business since, you know, 1995, you know, been selling online since 1995, those kind of things can really jump out at people and try to entice more clicks. Um, the title should be very descriptive to really entice someone to click on you. You know, it's basically like your billboard. If you just have on their scrubs, hyphen brand name, you know, it's not a very enticing billboard, right? But if you have really enticing words on there, that's really going to jump out at someone and, and be, make them much more likely to click on you, you're going to get great results. And on the flip side, uh, for product pages, product pages is pretty straightforward for your title. It should be the product name. Um, a lot of people put brand name on the end of their product titles, especially a well-known brand. It's always a good, good thing to do as well. And then going to the research intent, when people are searching for information about like scrubs, you'd have blog content that's going to be something along the effects of the uh, top 20, 25 most popular scrubs online, why you should be wearing scrubs in the workplace, just kind of basically titles like that that are more descriptive, that's matching information when people are searching for information to things. Does that make sense? It does. And you know, you, you need to make sure you delineate between TLC song scrubs. Yeah. So you younger um, millennials and Gen Zers, go Google it. So you answered some of what my next question was going to be, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways, just to see if we left anything off here. Right. So I, we were going to talk about neural matching and you mentioned that there's kind of that pivot away from you can't just fill your site with backlinks now and keywords, right? So I kind of went from like keyword stuffing and then to link stuffing and then key phrases. And now Google's got this neural matching, which is mm-hmm. really designed to tie concepts in the piece to what people are searching for. This So that search intent. So for example, like you gave the scrubs example, right? They could be searching for a lot of different things and you can have those keyword scrubs in your post. But you need to make sure like Google is smart enough to understand what's the content of that actual piece mentioning scrubs and does that fit the search results. So you might be looking for TLC scrubs and none of your medical scrubs are going to show up because it Google is understanding what you're actually searching for there. So from a description standpoint, is there anything that maybe we neglected off there? So from a, you mentioned some impact for retailers putting some better titles and things in there, but are there other tactics you can use or a retailer could use that maybe you didn't mention that would tie into this concept a little bit more? Did you, did you kind of cover it all? 
Yeah, I think that covers it all. Just you can also include call to actions, your meta descriptions too. That's really important. It's also important to have there. And then, you know, just the other basics too. Structure data. You know, you want to make sure you have a review system that's firing on product searches. Basically, you need to win when people are searching Google. Um, you need to basically show up. You need to have a high click-through rate. You need to really entice them to click on you. So anything you can do there to win in the search from really jumping out people from the structured data reviews, well-descriptive, well-written meta descriptions um, that have good call to actions in there. And even simply, too, just having a good site stream URLs. Uh, people are much more likely to click a site stream URL that's more descriptive, such as, you know, scrubs, you know, hyphen category, hyphen scrubs, than, you know, something that's just like, slash C slash four, five, eight hyphen scrubs, you know? So just really looking at that from a user perspective, how can you deliver the best user experience and really entice them to click on us in a search. So Google is using the neural matching to get you the best or the most relevant result possible. So if I search scrubs, I go to something and this brings up the concept of dwell time. Right, so if I get these results and I click on, because I'm I'm shopping for a, a set of scrubs to wear to work on Monday, if I click on something and I'm there for two seconds because that search result doesn't match my time, is dwell time a component of SEO today? And if so, can you briefly explain what dwell time is and then how big of a factor it actually is for someone? Yeah, it's it's been around for a good while. I mean, it's funny, like neural matching and dwell time, we've kind of like known about for about three or four years. Like I did a presentation at NRF 17, I want to say. Um, and I actually talked about like neural matching with like women's heels, women's pumps, showing the exact same search results. So, you know, they know like, hey, pumps and heels, same kind of phrase, basically. And they have similar search results for that, you know. And dwell time is very similar to that. Actually, um, Rain Fishkin did this back in, gosh, I want to say 16 or 17. He basically went to Twitter and said, hey, everyone Google this really random keyword phrase. Go to page four and click on my listing and then basically like stay there. And he had maybe 180 people do that. And then a couple hours, it went from basically like page four or whatnot, maybe it's page two into the like first position in Google. Uh, for a really random keyword phrase. And that's kind of when we all knew like, hey, Google's using click-through rate data. So, you know, what are they clicking on? Then also, do you stay on there longer? Do you get a good positive user experience? And we could kind of see then that, you know, Google is basically able to see what people do post results. So if a lot of people click on your listing, like, you know, keyword phrase scrubs, 350,000 people search that keyword phrase a month, I think. And, you know, if the vast, let's say, you know, like the listing below you has people staying on maybe like half a second more, Google's going to use that as a factor that the listing below you is probably a better result for that keyword phrase. And they could basically place you on the search results. From there, it goes into a really long rabbit hole of like, what is a good click? What's a, you know, anger click and those kind of things. And uh, <laughs> it's a really long rabbit hole go down. But basically the way that I look at it and the way that I try to let other people look at it in a very simplified way is basically if you deliver good user experience, which is called this kind of all time, people click on your listing, they stay on there, they, you know, add a cart, you know, add a product to a cart, maybe go see a product page and click on other pages. Google's going to see that it did its job for that user and got them the information that they wanted to see. All right. So let me throw this one by you then. So knowing this from a retailer perspective on the product page, does it impact the, the amount of detail on the product page because the, the theory is that if I'm a retailer and let's use the scrubs example that I'm going to put a lot of product detail onto that page knowing that if someone clicks through there it's going to take them longer to read through that product detail 
which would then tell Google, hey, my dwell time is now increased. I My ranking should perform better now because people are spending here, meaning that the link is more relevant. But you get the flip side, and we always hear attention spans. And the more product detail and the longer it takes to, to get through the product description, the greater likelihood is that the consumer can then bounce off your site and not make the purchase because they're overwhelmed. Is there a balance that retailers need to strike there? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And these are the conversations that you know retailers are having daily on SEO and UX teams and SEO teams discussing this together. And the best way is it could go either way. What you have to do is you have to basically do A-B test. You have to see what's going to work. I've had a lot of success and seen a lot of success with putting video content on product pages. Um, because people stand there that watch the videos, the how-to videos and more, and that allows them to stay on page longer. So I don't know from a description standpoint, I haven't seen too much data that says that creating longer content hurts, but I can tell you that there has been success with spending more time on product content, creating design elements within product content, implementing video content. It basically jump out of people. Uh, it keeps searchers on the page longer. It basically is more engaging. So I, I would say if you just create walls of text, walls of text are never good for SEO. Design elements, video content, media really allows people to stay on the page longer because there's more to interact with. It's just a lot easier to digest content. You know, If it's just walls of text, it's just never a good thing for SEO. So kind of multiple parts there. A, I would test out, see what works best. You know, If you're going to have a lot of content there, make sure you have design elements. Um, try out video content as well if you don't have a you know, gigantic catalog, <laughs> 80,000 you know, SKUs. And then, um, you know, just kind of test to see what works. Uh, but definitely do not just put a lot of content there thinking that the more they read, the longer they stay on the page. Um, it doesn't work that way. You could have the inverse effect. I love the media recommendation. So that's good. And it certainly fits in, especially if you're targeting Gen Zers or younger millennials, it certainly fits into the, the trends you see from uh, video digestion and things like that there. So video precludes to us that, you know, video is a form of content and content marketing, and, and you're a big proponent of content marketing for retailers. So what is the evolution here? Is it because we've seen just over the last so many years that these how-to searches have increased? Is that why, has that driven the demand for retailers using content marketing? Or is it really just changes in SEO outside of that, that has has shifted into, hey, retailers need to look at content marketing from a whole new light now. Yeah. I mean, people have been searching how-to content forever. I think retailers have done a poor job capturing that traffic because it's really hard to attribute revenue. And I get it. You know, online retailers, a lot of their very competitive spaces, I mean, such as like pet food and stuff from the margins really low, are very transactional focused. And so it's really hard to pitch like, hey, let's spend, you know, $20,000 a month on hiring these content writers and SEO team to write a bunch of content where we don't really know if that's going to attribute revenue. And now there's better ways to attribute revenue to it. But um, people have been searching how-to content for a long time. And generally, the information that would rank their informational sites. And now a lot more um, merchants online are figuring out, hey, we can create this how-to content. We can create this long-form written content, this video content, et cetera, that's going to rank for these keyword phrases um, and be there when people are searching for them. And that way we can be in front of them. We can get a brand impression. We can integrate this content with our product content um, and be there and get that brand impression, use ad rollers, similar retargeting tools to retarget them try to basically convert them into a customer through good call to actions that interlinks the content. And I've also seen uh, online retailers use pop-ups in their content as well. So it's just another way to get in front of customers and a lot of top of the funnel customers that are in a research stage 
be in front of them and drive them into a customer, you know, and that's where I've seen the most growth for a lot of online retailers is creating a lot of content, satisfying that research intent and just being there when they're searching for them. Makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about pieces of content. So just a video aside right now, let's talk more like about blogs. And I, I've seen an increase in retailers writing blog posts, some longer, some shorter. You have some retailers like Bob's Red Mill that has tons of recipes on their site, which makes a lot of sense for their brand. You know, I've seen fashion retailers write, hey, here's five ways to wear XYZ product for the season or whatever. Let's talk about blog pieces and the length of them. So do short blogs, is that the way to go? So if someone's looking at higher end content writer or some freelancers to write some pieces, you know, two, three blog posts a week because you're always putting things onto the site. Is that the most effective way to drive organic traffic? Or do we need to create more long form, helpful content now? Even though it's longer to read, there's more in there, which makes the, you know, that neural matching, the the search intent more relevant for them. Or does it really matter based on whether this is B2B or B2C? Maybe B2B needs longer form content, B2C needs shorter form content. Can you speak to that a little bit for us? Yeah, no, it's a fantastic question. It really comes down to what the user wants. It's funny in the SEO world, you know, like Brian Dean is a really great example. He has like 35 posts on site and they're all super long form content. And as SEO people, we look up to these guys and Brian Dean and Neil Patel and we're like, okay, they're creating three 5,000 word long articles. We need to create three 5,000 word long articles for our online storefronts, right? And that's actually not the best. Uh, we create, you know, uh, two different types of content on site called Power Pages blogs. And I'm always the biggest fan of Power Pages. It's like a super blog, has graphic design elements and all these really cool aspects to it. But really we, the most results online merchants are getting is through just blog content. That's 750 to 1200 words long. It has some images in there and it's really easy to digest information. And really what I've seen through just kind of my research in, in basically the past 12 months is that a lot more shorter from content is winning in search. It's easier to find, easier to digest, you get your information quicker, you know, and that's kind of my assumption of why it's winning. But we've seen a lot more shift away from the ultimate, you know, how-to guides, you know, top 100 ways to solve uh, acne and those really long form ultimate guides and based on substituting it is a little bit more shorter content. When I say shorter, I don't mean 300 to 500 word blogs that you would get from some copywriter that's writing it every two or three weeks. Um, it needs to be well researched, well thought out and concise, you know, anywhere from 750 to 1200 words long. And, and one way to see if your content is working um, it takes some time uh, to get a really effective content marketing strategy, but a lot of times I see a lot of companies just creating two or three blog posts a week, you know, and then they check off that content marketing list. They're like, okay, we're doing content marketing. A really great way to see if it's working is how many people visit those blog pages. You can go on Google Analytics, you can segment out your basically blog content um, and see actually how much traffic you're getting. You can also go to um, SEMrush and other tools that just measure keyword rankings. You can see how well your blog content is ranking in Google. And a lot of times it's funny, you know, um, online retailers are saying, oh, we created all this content. We're doing a great job. And it's like, not really, actually. It's not really shown for anything in Google. And you're just creating a lot of content that's really not getting any searches. So, you know, really trying to trying to create content that's ancient, that search intent, creating content that's very concise and well researched. You don't have to create, you know, that super long form content. I think that we've all been trying to do for the past like four to five years now, but just really trying to answer and give people information that they want the fastest. So if I'm looking at, say, let's use the 750, 1200 word blog piece as kind of the framework here. 
am I better off answering a question like a specific uh, user search question in that and try to find, you know, obviously if from a retailer, you're going to try to find questions relative to your brand and your products and things like that. But am I looking at answering a specific question or providing more general knowledge, which would you say is right now probably the better way to go with it? Specific. Yeah, I would go specific because that's going to be the most targeted you know, customer, I think at the end of the day, when it comes to content marketing and creating content, we don't do it because we like it. We do because we want to gain revenue, right? And it all starts with the keyword research and figuring out what are people searching for that's relevant to you. So say you sell vacuum cleaners online. A lot of people are probably searching for keyword phrases like Mealy versus other brand name vacuum cleaners. Um, a good thing is not only look at search volume, but look at the CPC. If other companies are paying for that click in AdWords, Generally, it's a really good keyword phrase to rank for, and you can get a lot of good value. So when using tools like SEMrush, AdWords, et cetera, to figure out what are those research intent keyword phrases people are searching for, you know, just really focus not only search volume, but also on the CPC. And then another thing is to really um, focus on topic clustering. It's kind of a fancy term, but it's pretty simple. It's basically just creating different categories of different content. So if you sell vacuum cleaners, you're going to create like a melee vacuum topics, your, um, your rollerball uh, <laughs> topics, you know, and then from there, you can really break down the keyword phrases and you can see the very specific keyword phrases. People are searching for, you know, like it's immediately vacuum cleaner, a good purchase, you know, or something keyword phrase like that or keyword grouping of phrases from there. And you can create different content that are specific to those search phrases. So you have content that really is very meaningful to that particular uh, search that people are searching for. And Google is going to value that. You don't need to go as specific as creating different titles for keyword phrases like the differences between melee vacuums and like, you know, are melee vacuums great or kind of keyword phrases that are very similar, you know? You can generally have a piece of content that's going to satisfy pretty similar um, keyword phrases and what we call keyword grouping, basically. Let's say you have one of those blog posts and you've got this, you know, you you nail it down, you got 1,200 words and it's on exactly what you should be doing We've seen a rise in when you search for something in your mobile device, which happens now, I think more than, uh, it's, I think it's over 50% of desktop searches now are on mobile over desktop. You see a lot of mobile image thumbnails appearing in the search results. And on mobile, it might be a little bit smaller. How important is choosing, like, does that does that image matter? How important is it to choose a very specific image to help, or as long as the image is relatable to the actual piece of content does it really not matter that much like the cookbook recipe kind of images yeah exactly yeah recipe is a good yeah, example man. there perfect yeah i mean definitely really important if you're able to have that fire on queries then you need to have the best image and you need to have the most juicy image <laughs> it's definitely really important and those are just going back to the basic technical seo 101 things you want to make sure you have all tags on your images uh, structured data, make sure Google understands what the images are um, so they can place in the search results as well, you know? And it really just depends on what the keyword search is. You know, Google's really good at doing their job, you know? And they're going to understand if someone's searching for, you know, um, how to cook a steak, they're going to understand that, you know, that people probably want to see pictures of juicy steaks. But if people are searching for um, something that's a little bit more, you know, like the best SEO tips, they're probably not going to put images in there. If you search for, you know, best melee vacuums, probably there will be image there. So it just goes back to having those technical SEO foundation, you know, work done and making sure you're doing all the right things there. And for the majority, especially if anyone's on, you know, Shopify, Magento, BigCommerce, like Google's really good about crawling those sites, crawling those platforms and understanding, you know, what is what and being able to put that in the search results. 
Very cool. And how about, we haven't talked about social media at all, but social media, you know, obviously plays a role in the SEO and, and consumer engagement here. Has there been a significant change in the way SEO uh, search results have been displayed in the recent years based on social media? And then if so, what's the best way for retailers to kind of take advantage of that and make social work for SEO purposes? Yeah, I'll try to keep this not five hours long. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a one that you can go a mile deep in. And this is, it gets really, really technical. So in a very essential, like a very easy way to describe it is social media does not help SEO in the sense that a lot of people think it does. Like you don't post a link on your social media platform, 10 people like it, and then suddenly Google's like, wow, that's a good source of information. People can, you could have hundreds, thousands of people clicking on a link, liking it on social media, coming back to your site, and Google will have no idea that that's happening. The ways that social media does help SEO in a sense that no one, you know, people think about is it gets that content in front of more eyeballs. So more likely people see that content, they might link to it, you know, their own content. So like a lot of publishers can see the content and then, you know, decide to link to it at a later point, you know, especially if you share something that's very research-based, you know, like... You see all those kind of like research shows, you know, people, you know, are more likely for X, Y, Z because they do X, Y, Z. Um, those can always have chances to get links from social media, especially if like B2B things on LinkedIn. As far as just the e-commerce merchants and retailers you know for social media, it's a great way to promote your content, get eyeballs on your content. And those things have an inverse way of helping SEO. You're just becoming a more popular brand. One merchant I saw become really, really um, well-versed in SEO and just getting insane SEO results using social media is a company called Fashion Nova. And I've written a couple articles about them throughout the years. And really, they grew their business and brand on influencer marketing and Instagram. And it wasn't a sense that Google saw like, hey, they have, you know, 10 million Instagram followers. They're really popular. We should place some our search results. Is more along the lines of, hey, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are searching the keyword phrase fashion of jeans and they have a good experience, you know, and then they're using their own matching. Like, why don't we try this listing out for the keyword phrase jeans? This is probably a really good result for that, right? And so having all those people searching Google for your brand name and different keyword phrases associated with your brand name um, can be really impactful too. It can, it can help. And that's basically the theory that, you know, how they're able to increase so rapidly and SEO results and rank for keyword phrases like jeans, fashion, jumpsuits, swimsuits is because they had such a popular brand that was promoted on social media that helped turn them into a popular brand via Google and Google's able to see that. Um, so it has a couple inverse ways to help SEO, but it doesn't really help in the traditional way that a lot of people think it does. Does that make sense? It does. Everyone's on social and social has, has really become a pay to play platform nowadays, oh, yeah. you're right? The, the organic reach standpoint on there to expose the content that you've created elsewhere uh, can certainly help that. Exactly. I think it's a good takeaway for retailers to, to really focus when they're, they're looking through their uh, their strategy here. Yeah. And one thing to just add on that too, it's um, really interesting. I spoke at um, IRC this year and uh, there's a study done by, I forget the name, um, things called Recoding or something along those lines. And Google traffic to publishers from Google has dramatically increased since last year and traffic from Facebook has decreased which is really interesting. And Google's creating new tools called like Google Discover, which is like a content discovery tool. And Google's trying to become more of a, a portal than really a traditional search engine. Uh, so I really kind of see that Google's going to become more of a focus for online retailers, especially getting that research content out there uh, as more and more people turn to find content using Google instead of finding content on social media. So 
it's kind of something to be aware of. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, we should definitely talk about that in the future once that that plays out a little bit more. Love to keep my eye on it, open on it. <laughs> keep me posted. Let's briefly talk about voice because voice is one of these things that we've been hearing about for a couple of years. We briefly mentioned it on the podcast last time, and it was still kind of in this wait and see thing. And now we're seeing reports that more and more people have smart speakers and more and more people have this and so many people use it. And then at the end of the day, they say, well, most people use it as a radio. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're playing Amazon Music and Spotify and things like that through there. Has voice impacted SEO at all? And whether it has or hasn't, is it something that retailers need to consider and keep an eye out for? Are we still a few years away from that? Yeah, no, I'm super excited to answer this because uh, I remember us talking about this in the last show and I regretted what I said instantly because <laughs> I said it's not a big deal and it, you know I don't see it becoming a big deal in the future and I was flat wrong, <laughs> I guess completely wrong. You know, um, Obviously, a lot of people are searching for voice search. Uh, now, and it's only growing. The one thing that I always had a hesitation with, and again, I'm going to look at this two lenses. One is the very macro, where I'm going to look at the data, and then the very micro for me and my social friend group. The, the micro looks at, I've had a Alexa Amazon device for about four or five years now. I was like a very early adopter, was one of the first people I bought it. I'm a very early adopter of all technology. I look at my Amazon Alexa, and she, you know, she could barely play the right Spotify playlist for me. And I'm expecting her to order me like an F-150 suit lift kit, you know, like some of these products that a lot of, you know, these online retailers sell, you know, I could see voice search, you know, probably doing things like ordering me laundry detergent, you know, like, Hey, rebuy my dog's organic dog food because it's connected to Amazon. And so I think as more and more people use Alexa devices, Google home devices to search Google for things like, Hey, what's the weather? what's XYZ, et cetera, um, it will start impacting e-commerce. I just don't know. And I'm just waiting to see the data for someone to finally come out and say like, hey, you know, 82 million, whatever people search a year for um, Google Home. And yes, we know 80% of them are people searching like, what was the fifth president of the United States? Or what's the weather out like? You know, those kind of keyword phrases. Um, I just want to see when a state's going to come out that shows a significant amount of people basically use their Alexa or Google Home devices to order products that are not basically a laundry detergent, something in the kitchen, or something that's just very repeatable purchase that they already have purchased on their basically Amazon mobile phone, on their mobile phones, on the Amazon app, et cetera. Does that make sense? It does. You're right, because I don't order much on my device either. But if I were, it's those those consumable products that kind of know what you're getting, you know, the price of it. And yeah, I think it's going to impact CPGs pretty heavily, you know, but I think at the end of the day, you know, you know, I go on my phone and I order batteries. The first result is Amazon basic batteries, right? It's, you know, 4.9 reviews out of five, you know, the cheapest price, I'm going to order that, you know? And so I don't really know how much is going to impact them. I, I think for like my audience, you know, which is the e-commerce business doing, less than a billion dollars <laughs> in a revenue, right? Um, I, I don't know how much voice search will impact them from a transactional focus. I think people want to see a product before they buy. I don't know how Amazon Alexa's will replicate the, the visual part of purchasing, right? We go to a retail store, we want to see before we buy. I think for products we've already bought, yeah, that could have an impact. Um, and I think from a research standpoint, when people are researching things, that could impact as well. But Google's really good about knowing how to look at blog content, understand what people are searching for. So if you have a blog that ranks for why is my face breaking out and you search your Amazon Alexa, why is my face breaking out? 
generally the person that ranks number one that has that you know uh, rich snippet firing is going to be on the voice search device and their phone. I don't think there's really anything much you could do differently than that. And even in the market, you know, I look to see agencies because they're generally pretty at the forefront of starting services to try to you know capture this market share of new things coming out and. You know, there isn't a whole lot that agencies are doing around voice search to really optimize for it either. You know, I could be wrong with that, but, you know, just from my general sense, I've seen. Yeah, it definitely, to me, it definitely seems like it's more of a complementary accessory yeah. than, than a replacement, which everyone was predicting a few years ago. And it may still turn out to be a replacement for some things, but right now it seems to be settling into this complementary accessory type thing. Uh, I want to talk about your, you brought up something that, that intrigued me, the face breaking out example. So if I have... Uh, you know, I'm selling whatever cream or some sort of uh, acne type product. And I have this post that is going to rank number one is why my skin breaking out. Is there any value to having like a quick snippet at the top explaining like, hey, here's the top, top five reasons your face might be breaking out. And then the the content itself gets more into it. And now my... <laughs> And now my Siri's going off answering, why is my face breaking out? <laughs> and you also awesome. bought a face breaking out cream. <laughs> right. So I'm going to get retargeted by this for right. the next three months now. Having those snippets at the very top that just kind of overlays that, is that important for having these things show up in either online search results or voice search results? Or is it smart enough to kind of get through that, that content and summarize it itself? It really goes back to how you write the content. And this is where it gets really tricky. Well-written, researched, well-thought-out content should have, you know, subheaders and breaking of the content. Um, and there's a lot of good articles out there, especially Brian Dean. I mean, he wrote kind of the book on how to write content for search engines and users trying to find information. And generally, you're going to have that hook at the top that's going to, you know, tell them a little bit more about the about read and the, the really good juicy stuff. And then it goes into subheaders that have different titles. And then the content that's answering it, you know, like the top five reasons you're breaking out and then... Um, it goes over each one individually a little bit more, but it'd be like, you know, your number five result on the bottom of the page. Google can know that that's like a really good piece of content for something someone else might be searching. So if someone searched a different keyword phrase than whatever the top five ways, reasons you're breaking out, it could use that snippet on the bottom of that blog post for that other keyword phrase and put that as a feature snippet at the top. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if it's really where it is in the content. It's more so like they want to match it. And so a lot of times what's um, really a really good strategy to use is when you know what your keyword research grouping is. And so let's say you have like your main keyword phrase is acne breaking out. I want to rank number one for that keyword phrase, right? And then there's other groups of keyword phrases like reasons why you know, acne is breaking out, ways to solve acne breaking out. You can actually create subheaders in your content that basically answers that keyword phrase search and then have content particularly for that. And that way Google knows that that blog post is a good result for basically the main keyword phrase, you know, acne breaking out, and then all those different subcategories of keyword phrases because you have those different subheaders that are answering those more in depth. Excellent example. If I'm a retailer and I need, there's one thing that I need to do to improve my SEO. Like there's one focus I need to do. What, what focus would you tell retailers to do? What, what's that one thing to kind of, pin down and hone in on only get one only one <sighs> yeah um i would just say now if they more. want more than one they can follow up with you ron 
Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah, it's. I wish I had two. Two would have been perfect. Okay, you can you can do two. All right, two. Okay, cool. Right, so first, a you have to have the SEO foundation. You can't have a you know just a site that's one URL. You have to have you know all the basic SEO foundation work. And if you're on a modern platform, you're going to have that automatically. Um, you just need you know just do the basics. You know, just make sure you have titles, descriptions, structured data, all the kind of fast site, etc. And the second is just creating content, you know, connecting with your customers, connecting with people out there. There's so many um, brands that sell products online that just sell products and that's all they do. But they don't really connect, make that connection with the consumer from other channels, whether it's social media, whether it's creating content for the blog that's going to rank for keyword phrases in Google and really have those conversations and connect with them. And that's what really SEO and content marketing together is doing. It's just helping connecting brands with Consumers are searching for your products online and searching for information about your products sold. And so just creating content on a monthly basis is how I've seen uh, these online you know, retail stores just grow so fast and rapidly and just be successful in search. Awesome. And I pivoted from one to two. So all, all you kids listening out there, it's what's called being adaptable. <laughs> Ron, I know we're, we're pushing a few minutes at the end of time here. Based on the topic today, did I neglect to ask you anything that you feel is super important for the audience to know? No, no, I think that covers it all. I mean, just really the best way to be and, you know, the best way to be successful in search. You know, I think a lot of people like to think like, oh, SEO is going away or gangster is going away. It's, that's not true. It's actually growing. More and more people use Google. It's actually Google's literally growing because Facebook has really, you know, taken away a lot of content publishers. So it's just now more important than ever to capture that customer, be in front of them, create really great content. Takes a lot of time, takes a lot of resources, takes a lot of time and energy. Um, it's not easy to do, but it'd be very, very impactful to do. So just get out there, do it. You know, Google how they do it online, how to how to write content, how to write content for SEO, et cetera. And uh, just get out there and execute. Excellent. Ron, last few minutes we got left here. I want to ask you a couple questions that yeah. are have nothing to do with SEO whatsoever. <laughs> so you're based in Atlanta. We talked about this last time. Uh, I told you to go to El Grill if you ever get out to like Spaghetti Junction, Jimmy Carter Boulevard area. Have you been to El Grill since we spoke? No, I haven't. I'm going to put that on my, my list to do. To-do list. Yeah. Next time you get to the area. What's your favorite restaurant in Atlanta? Man, I, I can only go there once a year for my birthday because it's, it's too expensive, but Marcel's my favorite steakhouse. So good. Excellent. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you drink coffee? I do. Yeah. I just had a big cup. Really How do you take it? Uh, black. Black. Not, All right. Not, do you like uh, dark roast or light roast or medium? Dark roast. Dark roast? Yes, sir. All right. Is uh, brunch overrated? No. I'm actually going Saturday. <laughs> You're brunching yeah, with yeah, the boys? Just, just one or four Bloody Marys somewhere in between that number. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. What's your go-to pizza topping? Uh... Ooh, kind of like it all. I mean, let's just go. Let's go pepperoni. Be basic today. Okay. Do you say niche or niche? Niche. Niche. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yeah, in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. Great answer. Ron, I am all about redemption stories here. I don't know if you knew this about me. Love redemption stories. I am going to give you a chance to redeem yourself, Ron, because last time you came on, I asked you how many zoo animals you can name in 15 seconds, and you were oh, nice. somewhat disappointed with your your results here. So okay. I'm going to cue up the clock, 15 seconds, name as many zoo animals as you can. Go. I'm cheating because I just watched Lion King yesterday. Uh, giraffe, lion, cheetah, um, uh, elephant, warthog, um, gazelle, uh, gorilla, uh, monkey, um, Time's up. Ron, you went eight. You crushed your five from last time. 
I love it. And you threw bird out there last time too. So it makes it feel <laughs> better. I did not count. That was not one of your five. That was not one of your five last time, but you did throw bird out there. Uh, so you got eight. How did you like the Lion King? Oh, it was awesome. Highly recommend it. It was great. Very good. Ron, any questions for me today? No, we're good, man. I appreciate you having me on. This is great. Um, and I uh, appreciate you letting me redeem my voice search debacle. <laughs> it's a redemption story, man. I love redemption stories. Ron, we'll have info in the episode description, how to contact you. If someone does want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you and or company? Email ron at visitor.com. Very good. Ron Dodd, everyone, CMO and co-founder of Visitor. Ron, again, thanks for your time today. Enjoy the conversation. To those listening, especially listener of the week, Grace from Detroit. If you want to be the listener of the week, let me know you've tuned in. And if you're interested in telling your e-commerce or email marketing story, I'd love to hear from you as well. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. And please be kind to one another. Bye.